Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Two Hamilton doctors out with a new report showing deaths among the city's homeless population. Another call to improve the health care crisis in Ontario amid the pandemic. The pandemic disproportionately impacting people with disabilities. Feast in the Hammer is back and we chat with the organizer. How's the pandemic going on in the USA? And we have details of a useless farm in Ontario and the Great Pill Spill. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. This is an important discussion that we are having right now. It's about the city's homeless population. And some shocking data has been uncovered by a couple of Hamilton doctors, one of which is Jill Wicharek, an inner-city physician working primarily with people experiencing homelessness in our community. And Jill joins us now. Dr. Jill, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Um, what did you find looking back over the last, well, I guess several months now in terms of how the homeless population in this community is being impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, really, um, the most alarming statistic we found in the data that we collected, which was around the deaths of people experiencing homelessness, was that the average age at the time of death was 36. And when that's compared to the life expectancy of the average Hamiltonian, which is 81, according to Stats Canada, it's a very alarming statistic. There's several factors at play, including uh, drug abuse as well. Tell us about how that is playing a part in this. Well, f- overwhelmingly, the biggest killer among the deaths that we learned about was was uh, overdose. Eight of the 19 deaths, so that's 42%, were known to be from overdose. So, I mean, I think what the goal is with uh, data collection like this is to find out what are the biggest killers, who, where are people dying, how are they dying, who is dying, and then... Um, make some interventions to change those um, to, to change what's happening. So uh, I think in looking at the um, poisoned drug supply in, in the country and, and certainly in our city, we have to think about what interventions can we do to help um, change these numbers. So what is at the top of the list? Is it is it just as easy as putting another safe uh, injection site in the city? Well, cer- certainly safe um, consumption sites or safe injection sites are an, a very evidence-based way of helping save lives, no question. And for a city our size, we are grossly under, I mean, we, we certainly have way too few, we only have one safe safe consumption site at, the t- at this time, and we certainly need more. We also need a more safer supply drug programs in our city to help combat the poison drug supply as well. Dr. Jill Wicharuk is our guest, inner city physician, working primarily with people experiencing homelessness in Hamilton. We know that the uh, encampments issue has been a hot topic over the last um, 12, if not more months. Um, Is the dismantling of those encampments helping this issue or hurting it? Well, I mean... Particularly today, I'm talking about the deaths of people experiencing homelessness. We certainly know that health outcomes are much worse in people who are sleeping outside. We also know that people whose uh, routines get changed, who are using drugs in various different settings, when their routines are changed, they're at a higher risk of overdose. So certainly, I mean, the fact that there is not enough uh, supportive, affordable housing units in the city is absolutely, um, you know, frankly, a killer. And that is, and it's, it, I mean, it's not going to change until we have more uh, affordable, supportive housing units. It just simply has to become a priority. 
Um, but what I was mentioning, when people, we do know that the risk of overdose increases when people are using in different environments. So when people, when encampments are being moved, people, people have um, certain routines and and um, and schedules that they kind of use in. And when they're in a an environment that is familiar to them, they are less likely to overdose. So for sure, dismantling encampments is harmful to people's health. There's no question. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Jill Wucherak. We are chatting about uh, shocking data uncovered uh, by her and uh, a fellow doctor on um, the homeless population, the uh, death rate, at least 19 people dying during a six-month period last year. The average age of those uh, dying is just 36. There's so many tentacles to this. We chatted about you know, safe consumption sites, uh, affordable housing units. Another one is mental health supports. Do we have enough of that in the city? Well, I mean, I, I certainly not. Uh, we don't have enough mental health supports for people who are homeless, nor for people who are housed. I mean, especially during a pandemic that is taking such a toll on everyone's mental health. Um, I think it would be well, um, certainly agreed upon uh, from all health healthcare providers in the city that we don't have enough mental health supports. I think it's a common theme in many places in Canada. For sure. We've got about 30 seconds. Is there one overriding recommendation or at least step one that this city should be doing a better job of? Well, I would, I would just, I think that at this point, it's really important to remember that these, these are cold, hard statistics, but really these are people who had dreams. They are people who have stories, who had stories to tell and share. They're people who were loved and they died way too young. I would call upon the city of Hamilton to um, take on the data collection um, uh, themselves because really this isn't, this shouldn't be, this isn't an academic project. This is a matter of public health. It's a great point. That's not just data and stats. These are real human beings that we are talking about. Dr. Wichruck, thank you very much for the time today. Thank you for having me. That's Dr. Jill Wichruck, inner city physician working with um, homelessness, uh, homeless people in this community. And you saw and heard about the uh, results, the deaths, and the average age, absolutely sad. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We heard yesterday from NDP leader Andrea Horvath calling on the Ford government to provide access to free PCR tests to children under five. There's no access to, to PCR testing. You can't find a rapid test uh, for love nor money. I mean, there's just no way that they have, people have access to rapid tests. Uh, but at the very least... Uh, parents should be able to access PCR tests for their children. One of many issues we're trying to iron out in this province. And uh, on that note, another emergency summit was held in Ontario yesterday with the province's opposition parties calling for improvements to the health care crisis amid the pandemic. Franz Jelena is NDP health critic and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ms. Jelena, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm not too bad. So what was discussed yesterday? Well, uh, basically, um, we know that our healthcare system is in crisis. What should be the next step? So, first, we all agree that uh, our healthcare system has been under stress for a long time. You will remember we had like six years of zero base budget increase in our hospital, so they would become more efficient. Uh, but we lost a lot of flexibility uh, while our hospital were not being funded properly. Uh, second is we all agreed, and when I say all, they were uh, employers there, they were 
um, unions, they were uh, professional associations, College of Physicians and Surgeons, uh, the Association of Nurses, uh, they were representative of PSW, uh, Lab Tech, the whole, uh, as well as uh, the, the three opposition parties. So we all agree that Bill 124 has to be taken away. It is such a demoralizer at a time where uh, the health human resources uh, is in crisis from our hospital to long-term care to home care to primary care to, to public health to every sector of our health care system. Bill 124 has to go, if, if only to give hope <laughs> to the people providing care, uh, that would be uh, a good start but for many, many other reasons. Uh, then talked about the pandemic pay, which is a temporary uh, top-up of 2 or $3, depending on where you work and who you are, is not working. Um, we would like people to be paid uh, their fair worth for the hard work that they do, as well as the danger that comes with their work. And then we focus on recruitment, retention, and return. Um, there are 15 thousand just nurses right now um, that are waiting for the college to process their application. As long as the college doesn't do this, they cannot practice. There are a thousand physiotherapists all trained in Ontario who cannot practice because the college has not processed, etc. You get the idea. This has to be fixed. Retain um, we see a lot of healthcare workers leaving uh, to go to temp agencies, to go to uh, staff, um, nursing agencies, etc. Um, so how do you um, combat this? We all agree, permanent full-time employment, well-paid, with benefit, with sick days, and with a workload that a human being can handle. And how do you make sure that uh, all of the healthcare professionals that have left but still have their license that could return. Um, and then they talked about the environment. Uh, there's lots of uh, people are tired of the pandemic. A lot of people are anxious. Some are angry. And um, the work of the healthcare workers are becoming more and more difficult that way. Uh, the, many of them talked about uh, um, being spit at, being uh, sweared at, at, at work. So change in the environment uh, to make sure that uh, everybody is respected at work. And uh, I would say the list goes on, but that, that was the main ones that where there were agreement across, as I said, a broad spectrum from the Ontario Hospital Associations to um, the nurse uh, RPNs Association and everybody else in between. That is certainly a laundry list of items to uh, to deal with. We're in discussion with Franz Jelena, NDP health critic. We've got about uh, 90 seconds or so. Regarding Bill 124, because you're not in uh, Queen's Park, you're not at the provincial legislature, what's the likelihood that it, this is going to be repealed? It doesn't sound like it's going to happen anytime soon. Well, it could happen. Uh, the government could put it on hold this morning. Uh, we live in a democracy. I would call Bill 124. It's, it's almost starting a revolution. Um, the nurses and the people who are affected, almost all of them women, are so, so angry at that. At a time where we need them to put 120% on every shift, uh, we're all human beings. The government has to do the right thing. It has to listen. Everybody agrees that this bill is making things way worse 
for patients, for residents, for uh, uh, healthcare workers, for hospital, for long-term care. Reveal that bill. Um, nurses have always been very reasonable in in negotiations. Um, they cannot strike, and most of their employment. Uh, repeal this. Give them a sign that you do value their work, and they could do that tomorrow. They can say, "We will put this aside," and tomorrow morning, I guarantee you, the Ontario Nurses Association and the Ontario Hospital Association will sit down together and hammer a deal that will be respectful of all. Ms. Jelena, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Really, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll chat with you sometime uh, in the future. Always a pleasure, Rick. That is Franz Jelena, NDP health critic and an MPP in the Sudbury area, joining us about the latest emergency summit, this one focusing on the health care crisis during the COVID-19 pandemic. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately affected Canadians with disabilities, so says a new report from a professor in the Department of Political Science and director of the University of Guelph's Live Work Well Research Center. Her name is Deborah Steenstra, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning, Rick. You have uh, conducted uh, an extensive research project on this. Uh, tell us about it and how wide-ranging uh, it has gone. Sure. Um, well, uh, the team and I, this is a, a much larger team, including a researcher in Hamilton, uh, Laura, Dr. Laura Pinn, um, were involved uh, over uh, the fall of 2020 and into 2021, uh, looking at how federal government policies, as well as policies in five provinces, um, affected uh, COVID-related policies, affected um, the impacts of COVID on people with disabilities. So we covered 19 theme areas from housing to um, access to services to um, food and nutrition. And what did you find? Well, what we found is that um, COVID policies generally have excluded or made invisible the experiences of people with disabilities. And not only that, those measures that have been taken, um, that exclusion often made particular groups of people with disabilities um, Uh, face even greater negative impacts. And those are um, people with disabilities who are racialized, Indigenous people with disabilities, women with disabilities, people with disabilities who live with poverty. So there was both the general um, invisibility and exclusion of people with disabilities throughout the COVID pandemic and the particular increased negative impacts on particular groups of people with disabilities. And a good example of that is CERB. I think most of our listeners are familiar with CERB. They may have even accessed the benefit, but for uh, many people with disabilities, CERB was just not a reality. Tell us about that. Right. Well, um, in order to get CERB, you had to have income um, beforehand. And first, lots of people with disabilities don't have consistent um, income that comes from employment. Um, so they may rely on government assistance programs that may, may be like ODSP, the Ontario Disability Support Program here in Ontario. It could be um, CPP, the Canada Pension Plan. So if you got those, you weren't necessarily eligible for, for CERB. And if you received both CERB and um, a support like ODSP, um, the provinces often clawed back the amount of money they were giving 
equivalent to what you received from CERB. So there was a net loss um, or at least no net gain in terms of income if you were on social assistance programs our guest in many on, parts of the country. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Deborah Steenstra, professor in the Department of Political Science and director of the University of Guelph's Live Work Well Research Centre. We're chatting about a research project that shows the pandemic has disproportionately affected Canadians with disabilities. You also took a look at how it's impacting seniors with disabilities as well. Absolutely. We often don't think about uh, seniors as, um, especially those living in long-term care homes, as people with disabilities. But um, for the most part, those who live in uh, long-term care homes are people who experience disabilities. And and, um, we all know that they, especially in the earlier waves of the pandemic, experienced much of the um, brunt of of receiving it, and we're seeing it again in this wave, um, that those who live in what we call congregate settings or closed um, living settings experience greater risk of getting COVID and because they have multiple caregivers. And that's true not just of seniors with disabilities who live in those uh, congregate settings, but also of younger people who happen to live in similar um, congregate settings, whether it's group homes or um, there are younger people with disabilities who live in long-term care homes. So part of what has happened through the pandemic is that um, because there were different uh, care providers coming in uh, to where they live, um, there was greater risk being brought to them. And they often weren't uh, prioritized in terms of receiving protective equipment or vaccines. With any research project, there's going to be a thesis or at least an idea of what you may find as you compile your research and do your analysis. Did anything jump out at you from left field and, and really surprise? Um I, I I think the extent of how invisible people with disabilities were um, was one thing that really surprised me. I think I had expected it to be um, at least partially visible uh, to people, but it was pretty clear that um, the experiences of people with disabilities were very invisible. There was also a link for uh, some people with disabilities about feeling like they didn't have access to supports that they needed. And so they felt like their only choice was to um, to uh, move to either um, uh, looking at ending their life through suicide or through medical assistance and dying. So that was a real um a powerful moment for me of learning about the extent to which a lack of services can lead to situations where people feel like they have no choice. Wow, that's really sad. Deborah Steenstra is our guest, the director of the University of Guelph's Live Work Well Research Centre, chatting about a research project that shows the pandemic has disproportionately affected Canadians with disabilities. Got about a minute. In terms of recommendations, what does this report recommend? Um, We recommend a couple of things. The first is um, how important it is to listen to the experiences of people with disabilities when making uh, any decisions, including decisions about emergencies and pandemics. So to put people with disabilities at the center of decision making, not as an afterthought. And one good example of that is 
um, and um, thinking about communications during the, the pandemic. Um, earlier in the pandemic, we saw that public announcements made to so-called all Canadians were made without sign language interpretation. That meant that folks who use sign language interpretation weren't able to get the information. So it's really important to have um, that sort of feedback from people with lived experience um, in the policy making and policy implementation process. Another is the importance of income. Um, there's a, a commitment by the federal government now that hadn't been there before uh, to uh, uh, a national disability benefit. And that's that would have been a, a significant uh, step in addressing the income gap that we saw that was made worse throughout the pandemic. Um, we need more information and data. That's not surprising from a researcher to say that, but it was clear that Canada didn't do as well as some of its other countries like the United Kingdom in tracking the experiences of people with disabilities. And um, we need to think about just uh, disability justice in all of its aspects. So thinking about the experiences of uh, people with disabilities who are racialized, people with disabilities uh, who are Indigenous, who live with poverty, um, when we think about what policies to implement. Deborah, I'll jump in there. Thank you for uh, sharing details of your research project and uh, spending some time with us on uh, the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much. That's Deborah Steenstra, professor in the Department of Political Science and director of the University of Guelph's Live Work Well Research Center. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A great local program that helps local restaurants and Hamiltonians in need is once again being launched, with Ontario returning to stage two of its COVID-19 reopening plan. We know that some restaurants are not, or all restaurants, are not able to offer indoor dining. So Feast the Hammer is making a comeback, and one of the people uh, behind this uh, idea is Julie Freeman, the organizer of Feast in the Hammer, also a clinical informatics specialist at Hamilton Health Sciences. Julie, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, I read a Reddit post where you write, quote, Hey, friends, I'm starting up Feast in the Hammer again because it looks like we need it. Talk about the need in the community right now. That's right. Well, um, I mean, we're already seeing some of the restaurants that we love that are closing. Um, they were on the precipice before this, and this lockdown is just... Um, it's totally shattering them. So anything that we can do to keep these restaurants that we love open so that we can enjoy them again uh, when the lockdown is finished, I'm happy to help in any way I can. So how does Feast in the Hammer work? So we're collecting donations from um, folks from anywhere that they want to donate. Um, we've got a GoFundMe set up as well as um, some e-transfers. And we take that money and we purchase full uh, price meals from local restaurants. And then we donate those meals to folks in need. Last year we raised... Uh, $7,000 and donated 500 meals to places like the Good Shepherd Shelters, to the Living Rock Youth Ministries, the Mark Priest House, um, just places where folks need meals. And this is basically 100% of the proceeds that's collected goes to where it needs to go to. That's right. 100% of every dollar. Um, even the GoFundMe fees, um, I donated the, uh, to cover those fees. So literally 100% of every dollar donated goes to local restaurants, and then that food goes to local Hamiltonians. Now, you mentioned last year uh, you raised over $7,000, delivered 500 mm -hmm. complete meals to a number of uh, people at uh, local shelters and, and organizations. Were you blown away by that figure? Were you expecting something like that? I was completely stunned. Um, I started with a goal of $1,000. 
um, and maybe sort of one set of meals delivered. And it just sort of skyrocketed. People were really excited about it. Um, I think people love the Hamilton food scene and they want to support their restaurants when they can. So um, a lot of people donated 5 and $10 and some people donated $100 and $200. And it just um, it snowballed and we were really excited to get that food out. Julie Freeman is the organizer of Feast in the Hammer, and it's making a comeback as restaurants are not able to offer indoor dining as we're back into a well, what the politicians are calling a modified stage two of the COVID-19 reopening plan. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. When will the latest incarnation of Feast in the Hammer begin? Starts today. Oh, it's on right now. <laughs> it starts today. Yeah, I just set up the uh, the new GoFundMe, and uh, I'm reaching out to restaurants. I'm setting up some volunteers. Um, I'm reaching out for volunteers this year because I'm actually also in grad school, so I don't have the time to be able to go out and do the deliveries, but people were really excited about helping out with those deliveries, so um, we're getting started today. So how many people do you need to help out? Um, really, anyone who's interested, um, I encourage them just to email feastinthehammer at gmail.com um, and let me know sort of when they'd be available or what area of Hamilton they're in, or even if they know of restaurants that are struggling or folks that would appreciate receiving those meals. Any information is appreciated, and always the best way that people can help is to get the word out. Uh, in terms of donating money, how do people go about doing that? Uh, yep, absolutely. We can accept e-transfers to, um, again, feastinthehammer at gmail.com, or we've got a GoFundMe set up, and it's uh, Feast in the Hammer on GoFundMe. You can find a link to that on our Instagram or um, on our Facebook page. So given that uh, over $7,000 was raised uh, last time around, and more than 500 uh, complete meals were delivered to people in need, what's the expectation this time around? I, I honestly don't know. I've set another goal of $1,000, and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> That's fantastic. And listen, the more the merrier. People can donate. People can help out. Uh, feastinthehammer at gmail.com is the email to go to. I know you're all over Instagram as well. This is this is amazing. And, and Julie, you should be congratulated for thinking about the idea originally, bringing it back again, because there is a, a huge need out there. I really appreciate that. I joked last year that it's entirely selfish. I love going to restaurants and I want these places to be open when I can go again. <laughs> Do you miss one more than another or just uh, you miss them all? Oh, I miss them all. I miss going to Merck. I love their uh, their tapas or small plates. It's just a, a great place to be. That's probably my favorite. Yeah, one of many that uh, certainly are struggling at this time. And uh, through Julie's help, we're certainly getting the word out there. And hopefully the uh, the help will follow as well. Julie, thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of your day and good luck with the campaign. Thank you so much, Rick. Take care. Phenomenal initiative once again. Julie Freeman, organizer of Feast in the Hammer, also a clinical informatics specialist. That sounds like a pretty good uh, gig at uh, Hamilton Health Sciences. But this is two birds, one well, really three birds, one stone. We're in, we're in the pandemic. We're helping restaurants by buying these meals. And then those meals are going to less fortunate individuals in this city. It is uh, a win-win-win, and it makes you feel good as well. No doubt about that. So... Uh, head uh, over to uh, Julie's uh, email um, if you want to volunteer, if you want to contribute, um, you want to help out in any way. Um, as you uh, heard, she's quite busy and will really appreciate your help. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A doctor in San Antonio, Texas, has written a poignant poem about the COVID-19 pandemic and has shared it on social media. It was a phenomenal read, and I read it live on the air yesterday at 6.20. And here to chat about it is Dr. Saeed Tabatabai, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. I know I butchered the name, but Dr. Saeed, thanks for joining us today. 
<laughs> That's quite all right. Thanks for having me. Um, this was a phenomenal poem. What um, what generated you uh, to, to to write it and and share it with uh, uh, your followers on Twitter? Uh, well, I've I've always used writing as a means of dealing with things I'm going through. It's, it's enjoyable for me. It's a form of catharsis. You know, when I was younger, I used to write diaries and journals, and um, I've been writing throughout the COVID pandemic, and I, I was writing before then too, but. Lately, it's been harder and harder for me to write. And then uh, I had this moment over the weekend where I just had a, a brutal, brutal call where it was just so busy and it felt like nothing had changed. And we're back at the beginning of the first surge all over again. And um, it felt like the floodgates opened. And I got home and I just started writing and uh, it kind of expressing all the different frustrations and thoughts and grief and everything I was feeling at once. I just poured it out. This is a great way to release some of that frustration and anger and, uh, you know, all the emotions that go into being a physician, especially during the pandemic. Do you feel a a little bit better after doing this exercise? A lot better? Tell us about that process. Um, Yeah, I I really did feel much better. Every time I I write one of these, I I feel so much better. And then the thing that really resonates is that, you know, I I write on Twitter. I I share things in my uh, uh, Twitter handle and all the people who, who respond, you know, with messages of uh, solidarity, messages of support, um, people who know exactly what you're feeling in the medical community and outside the medical community, it's, it's really been helpful. Uh, the uh, Twitter handle, by the way, is at the real Dr. T. It's the letter T, at the real Dr. T. Uh, tell us about COVID 19 in your part of the world. How is it going? Uh, not so good uh, lately. It's, it's, the numbers have really shot up. Again, uh, the hospitals are once more starting to fill up again. And the difference this go around is, you know, obviously this is like what I lost count, the fourth or fifth surge that we've been through. And, um, you know, everybody's sort of just kind of on their last legs in terms of um, going through this process repeatedly. And, and so many people are now out with COVID, too, because this one is much more infectious. So our workforce is starting to dwindle a little bit. So everyone who's still working is stretched even more thin. Dr. C. Tabatabai is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He is a nephrologist in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, a big storyline here in Canada is the physician shortage. Uh, you know, physicians either testing positive and they have to isolate or, you know, a close contact is tested positive, so they have to isolate. That's really put a strain on staff resources in the hospital setting. Is that the case in America as well, or at least in San Antonio? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's it's and, and it's not just physicians. It's kind of every level of the healthcare system. You know, um, staff, uh, physicians, nurses, uh, any kind of thing that you would normally get done quickly. Now it's kind of a bit of a toss-up because you're wondering are, are the staff who do such and such a test or such and such a scan uh, going to be available? And even things as simple as blood draws are getting pushed back. So uh, it's really affected kind of every facet of our healthcare delivery system. Because this has been such a grind, um, what what gets you through the day? Oh boy, um, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know, uh, on some level, you know, you, you just you, obviously you love what you do, and it's it's a calling, and and, and medicine has, has always been my my passion. But it's also you don't want to let down other members of your team. Uh, who are already stretched thin, there's this kind of camaraderie also that you're you're looking at the person next to you and, and you're just wanting to help and, and just want to help people in general. Well, I'm very much looking forward to your next writing and sharing on social media. Appreciate the time today. Best of luck with the pandemic. And uh, thanks for, for all that uh, you do in the healthcare field. Thanks for joining us today. 
Thanks so much. It's so kind of you to have me. I appreciate it. That's Dr. Saeed Tabatabai, and he's a nephrologist in San Antonio, Texas. Um, great story. Check him out on Twitter at the real Doctor T is his Twitter handle. That's the real Doctor. All uh, you know, all one word, obviously, and the letter T. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a uh, what is called the useless farm. In uh, eastern Ontario, this is a farm just north of Kingston, and you may have seen it on YouTube or TikTok. Um, it has gone viral with its herd, and for good reason, for really good reason, because many of us turn to social media to find entertainment, and, you know, sometimes we find it, sometimes we don't. So on the precipice of the pandemic in 2020, so when this all first began, this uh, Ontario farmer um, provided us with some entertainment, and it continues to come to light. Three and a half million followers later and nearly a hundred million likes on TikTok, the useless farm has, yes, certainly gone viral. Here's more from the founder of Useless Farm. Useless Farm began really probably about four or five years ago. We started with some guinea hens and then we got some chickens. I think the first one we got was Brad, which was very unfortunate because he is miserable. No. Nope. And then I blinked and we had emus, alpacas, mini donkey, and Gary Goose. It's a slippery slope. Perfect. He's done charging. I came up with the name Useless Farm because nothing on our farm has a job. Everything on our farm is just here to live out the rest of their life in relative peace. We really just let the animals be themselves and they have a little glimmer personality. Look at the clover hanging out of your mouth, you baby. We have Keith, our one alpaca that has terrible anxiety. Why does it look like Michael's posing for his new Christian Mingle profile picture? We have Michael who is absolutely simple, not a thought in his head. Is this turning into maybe a near-death experience? Possibly. Karen, our emu, who is absolutely miserable and was named Karen before Karen was a thing. So I don't know if I manifested that. I need to have my head on a swivel every single moment of my life. Stanley, who is our other emu, who is the sweetest angel. And we have Gary, who just likes, he's just happy to be involved. Thank you. The reason I started doing social media was really, there were so many funny, really obscure things that happened here. And I wanted to share that with people. Uh, I wanted people to laugh and smile uh, at these things like I do. I consider myself so privileged and so fortunate to be able to do this. I like to laugh with other people and I like to bring smiles to other people. And during the past couple of years, we've definitely needed it. I didn't expect it to get this big. <laughs> at all michael you poor sweet thing you don't have a thought behind those eyes do you when i saw that michael buble duetted a couple of my videos i i mean he's just such a good sport about it oh my god i laughed so hard <laughs> you didn't pick a great hiding spot the reaction from people online has been so amazing and i've been like just surrounded with love from people it's been so wonderful and so supportive and i'm so appreciative of that and that other people find it funny that really means a lot yeah you know when michael buble is doing parody videos of your useless farm you know you've hit the big time uh here are some of the animals on useless farm there's poor sweet michael the alpaca he looks so so handsome uh karen the emu there's stanley the emu 
Keith the alpaca, Doug the mini donkey, Brad the silky rooster, who seems like a handful, Steve the peacock, Lucy the pony, Robert Fish the mini horse, not sure why Robert has a last name, but he does, Uh, and one of the descriptions is majestic AF, and yes, (laughs) Robert is that, Craig the alpaca, Lorraine and Josh the baby emus, so they got more coming, and last but not least, Clifford the Chocolate Lab. Not the big red dog, but the Chocolate Lab. Check it out online at uselessfarm.com. Check them out on TikTok, YouTube. It is, if you need a good laugh, it is the stupid kind of funny laugh. But uh, if you need one, that is a easy place to turn to. Speaking of laughing, so studio producer Alicia, who uh, moments before the news uh, did something that I, I wasn't even aware of. She's like, did you see me scramble around? And I'm like, no, what's going on? So tell us what happened here. Oh, my God. <laughs> so embarrassing. Spill the beans, so to speak. <laughs> okay, well, I got my booster yesterday. Yes. Yay. Um, except for my arm has been killing me. So <laughs> I was like, I need drugs, which, like, ibuprofen. Okay? Yeah. And I had a snack so that I was. I went to go get pour myself one. And I poured out the whole bottle. <laughs> The whole bottle of ibuprofen. Like it just like it fell out of my hands, and like I literally had to pick up like at least fifty ibuprofen drugs <laughs> all over the floor <laughs> while you were talking. And I just thought, wow, he's probably wondering what is she I had no idea. doing. But you had your flashlight out in the whole day. Yeah, because I can't like it's so dark underneath this desk. So the question everyone is now asking themselves is: Did you put them back in the bottle? Are you going to consume these ibuprofen? <laughs> I don't know, but I did put them back in the bottle. Where else am I supposed to put them? That's where they go. That's where they go. They're the gel. Yeah. So at least that makes a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> Five what, second what's rule. What's your opinion? I guess I don't know. I don't. We should ask our listeners. This might be our our call in question sometime later on today. Oh God! Should have Alicia put all these ibuprofens that fell all over our our <laughs> sparkling clean floor in the studio back in the bottle. <laughs> It's not dirty in here. No, not but at all. Still, but not still, yeah, I know. I, I, I thought to myself, I said the same thing in my mind. I'm like, should I be doing this? I don't really. But honestly, at that point, I was like, my arm hurts. I just, I want Yeah, you just want them back in the bottle. So you can take, take them again. Okay, thanks. Our Twitter poll question today at AM 900 CHML. Should Alicia have, no, I'm kidding. Uh, are you applauding the government's decision to reopen Ontario schools for in-person learning on January 17th as planned? Yes or no? Vote now at AM 900 CHML. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.